he's already chosen us. And that chosen is because he created the plan that we chose to be part of. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started in our study of First Peter. Well, here we are in week two in our Hope of Our Calling First Peter study. I am really excited to go through this epistle with you. It is a power-packed epistle of exhortation and encouragement, constantly reminding us of the living hope we have as children of God and believers in Christ Jesus. Kay Smith defined the word hope as a cheerful expectation. Live Strong website, it's a cancer website, it described hope as a belief that a positive outcome lies ahead. Now for those of us who have hidden God's word in our hearts, have spent each morning having an intimate time with him via his word, we know what's coming. We know that trials and tribulations are coming. We know that we will be persecuted as they persecuted Christ. But we also know that the end is our glorious ruling and reigning with Christ, our Lord and Savior, our beloved, our bridegroom who is eagerly waiting to return and gather up his bride, us. In Matthew 14, verse 30, Peter had said to Jesus when he saw him walking on the water, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And, of course, the Lord responded, Well, come on, jump out of that boat, let's walk. But verse 30 tells us what happens with all of us. We know God's Word. We have God's Word. We read God's Word. We meditate in God's Word. But when we see the strength of the wind, we become afraid and we begin to sink. Just like Peter. He started walking on the water. He started experiencing water holding him up as he proceeded to Jesus. But then he saw the strength of the wind and he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of Peter and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus says that to us. Because We doubt. We read his word. We know his word. We count on his word. And yet we need to additionally cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. We need to be reminded continually, as did the nation of Israel when they were journeying through the wilderness and proceeding into the promised land. The Lord exhorted them many times to build memorials, to remind themselves to share it with the children. Last week, we talked about that Peter was writing to the dispersed, the persecuted, the ones who had received the gospel in Jerusalem and then immediately suffered persecution from their Jewish brethren, as well as the rest of the world as they dispersed through it. And then remember that Nero was the emperor. So Peter was writing to these disciples that knew 
They already knew the living hope. They already knew why they repented of their sins and received Christ as their Savior. But they needed to be reminded. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He said, O fools and slow of heart, haven't you read the scriptures? That's why it's important that we stay in his word every single day. What you feed your heart and mind in soul will strengthen it, whether it be the way of the world or the way of the kingdom of God. As Joshua said, choose this day, this very day, whom you will serve. It's something we must do every single day. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. That's what happens when we give in to doubt and disbelief. All right, so let's now dive in to the actual text. It's a greeting. The first two verses of this are basically a greeting, but it's a power-packed greeting that we're going to take a look at today. We're going to be looking at words, apostle, pilgrim, elect, foreknowledge of God, sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So let's dive in. Peter, an apostle. An apostle means a delegated one, a sent one, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And many commentators believe that it is a very definitive term used for the first century only disciples that were sent out by Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This apostle, Peter, is writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion. In Psalm 119, verses 17 through 20, it says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. That word stranger is the exact same word that Peter is using for a pilgrim, a sojourner, a foreigner. The psalmist is saying that they're a stranger in the earth. One of the things that we need to remember is that this is a temporary dwelling place for us. God has a plan and a purpose for the time we were born to the time we pass into his presence. He's got a plan and a purpose. And it is to, in my belief, that it is to groom us, to transform us, to be those who will rule and reign with him, with his like mind and his like heart. Remember, Jesus walked this earth as a man, giving us that example of what is possible when you walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Ken Baugh writes in the intro of Be Hopeful by Warren Worsby, a commentary on 1 Peter. He says, This earth is not my home. My home is in heaven. Peter reminds us over and over again throughout this letter that we're strangers in the world, that this life is not all there is. There is so much more to come. And when we receive God's grace of forgiveness for sin through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be assured of a home in heaven. Jesus took six days to create the world. And there are some beautiful and amazing places in it. 
But imagine what heaven is going to be like. When I remember how amazing eternal life in the Father's presence is going to be, it enables me to endure whatever may come my way in this life. We'll take a look more on this term of a pilgrim when we move into chapter 2. The next thing that we want to deal with is this really meaty portion of scripture in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. The first thing I want you to take notice of is the presence of the Trinity here. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also have the offices of the Godhead. We see that God the Father has the foreknowledge, the beginning and the end knowledge. The Spirit sanctifies, walks alongside of us. We hear that still small voice saying, this is the way, walk in us. Jesus said the Spirit guides us into all truth. So basically, we have God's own Spirit as our tutor every second of every day. If we would, but like Proverbs says, lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge Him, acknowledge God, His Spirit, and He will direct our path. And then we have the crucified, resurrected Jesus. The God-man who sacrificed his perfect life in order to pay the ultimate price to redeem us from our sin. Remember in Romans, it says the wages of sin is death. But the life is in the blood of And throughout the Old Testament, we see this sacrificial foreshadowing that people would bring sacrifices to make atonement for their sins. However, it was a repetitive action. It was never a fully removing our sins from us. It was a foretelling of the ultimate Lamb of God, which John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Takes them away, not covers them, takes them away. Jesus paid that cost. He paid for the atonement. And then by his resurrection, he conquered death giving us redemption, giving us that same power, that same resurrected power. So we move from the triunity, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, and we start looking at two very important words that can be difficult subjects to understand. I'll do my best to give it to you in a simplified fashion. Elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge. Let's deal with elect first. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says, We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God's plan of salvation has been in play since before the beginning of time. 
To validate that, you can go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, where it declares, The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God has not been shy, coy, or reserved in sharing with us about his plan. He has not only inspired authors to write down over a course of 1,500 years his plan of salvation, his plan of a chosen people, a redeemed people from their sins that will one day rule and reign with him. That's us, beloved. That's us. Remember the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God has had this plan and purpose for eternity, and He's chosen us by the mere fact that He knows everything. And when we choose Him, He's already chosen us. And that chosen is because he created the plan that we chose to be part of. That plan of redemption paid for by his son, the word of God. Now, the cool part of all of this is that the power of his Holy Spirit is what empowers us to understand his word, to walk in his word, and to obey his word. This is truly a remarkable love affair and revelation that we need to embrace and then surrender to his spirit teaching us as we walk. All right. So elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So here's my question. Does God know everything? I think simply by saying, does God, we'd have to acknowledge that he does. He created us. We didn't create him. He created us from the dust of the earth. Take a look in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46, starting at verse 9. It says, remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Basically, there is no other God. There is one God creator. And he has, via his word, via his prophetic prophets, via his foreshadowing through the, through the movements of his people, the Jewish people that he chose in order to reveal to the world who he was, that he chose to raise up, pour himself through, and testify to the entire world for over 6,000 years who he was and what his plan of redemption was. And why he had a plan of redemption. He will accomplish his good pleasure. Now my pastor Chuck Smith wrote about this or spoke about this. And he said if God knows all things 
then God can't learn anything. It's impossible for him to learn anything because he already knows it. If God is ever going to know anything, then he already knows it. God is outside of our time dimension. And looking down from his vantage, he can see the beginning and the end at the same time. And so he knows all things from the beginning. Kendra's editorial in here. Like the blimp in the Macy's and Rose Parade. The blimp can see everything. It can see the end. It can see the beginning. So if God will ever know who is going to be saved, then he has always known who's going to be saved. That's God's foreknowledge. And as the result of that foreknowledge, knowing those that would respond to his love and to his grace through Christ Jesus, these he has elected that they should be the children of God. And so that's the election according to foreknowledge. Basically, God knows everything. He has a plan of salvation and he knows beginning to end and who in that beginning to end is going to choose him. Moving on to sanctification of the spirit. So elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the spirit. Saints, this is the most spectacular, most awesome, most incredible, and most empowering part of this. This is where we walk, as I said before, in the Spirit. So we won't fulfill the lust of our flesh, just like even Adam did in the garden. The word sanctification means consecration, or dedication, holiness, In the Old Testament times, Jews were very familiar with this concept. Sanctification was considered cleansing oneself before the Lord, before serving the Lord. The priests had so many rules for cleanliness, washing and ritualistic cleansing prior to serving. We, as believers, are in that process But it's not by might or by power, but it's by God's Spirit, says the Lord in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. God does everything. We're just called to respond. The Jews were very familiar with this term for sanctification. It was called a mikvah. And if you go to Jerusalem on the... I always get this confused. I think it's on the south side of the Temple Mount, you'll see an old marketplace and you'll see several of these ritualistic baths that were needed for anybody going onto the Temple Mount. They had to be cleansed. They had to be purified before they could go up. We are called to be a people who are to be washed and cleansed to rule and reign with our Lord. If we look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we read, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests 
to his God and Father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. In other words, it's not a ritualistic cleansing that happens, but a thorough cleansing by his blood. The way we get there is to be guided and directed by his spirit in everything that we do. He is the one that is preparing us for heaven. In God's word, it declares that his spirit walks with us, that he never leaves or forsakes us, and is a constant help in time of need, knowing our deepest thoughts afar off, and offering us wisdom liberally if we would but accept it. That's the choice of the matter. Each and every day, we must choose to be led by His Spirit in order that the sanctification process might continue in our lives, transforming us into the image of Christ. The one thing that we need to remember is we are not alone in the sanctification process. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. God is our shepherd. Jesus is our Lord and shepherd. His spirit was given to us as a deposit at the moment of receiving him. Because to receive him without the power to be like him would just be cruel. But he gave us the deposit of his Holy Spirit working in and through our lives to conform us into his image, to prepare us to rule and reign with him as kings and priests. Do you get the picture? It's basically that saying of God catches the fish and then he cleans them. And we're the fish. But he does it in order that obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ would consecrate us. In Exodus chapter 24 Starting at verse 6, it says, And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basin, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they all said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Now, as we continue on through the book of Judges, we'll see that mortal flesh is incapable of, of being obedient. It is when our heart has been changed, when we have been spiritually reborn to seek and desire the things of heaven, the eternal things, that we have the power to overcome, again, that lust of our flesh. Continuing in Exodus, says, And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Hebrew chapter 9 recounts the same passage in Exodus, but then goes further to explain it a bit more. And it says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, I'm sure many of you are scratching your head and What is this thing that God has about blood? 
In in Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What I want to remind you again is that God is God and we are not. God created us. God created blood. God created life. He created man from the dust of the earth and breathed the breath of life into him. It's God's breath in our lungs, as the song says. That deserves awe and respect and reverence. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fear his majesty, fear his judgment, fear his awesomeness, and understand that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But one day, the scriptures declare, we will be kings and priests ruling and reigning with him, and therefore, We need the sanctification process given by his spirit, by his word. Peter will continue to exhort us to be holy in all that we do. That we might be holy representatives of Christ to those still lost in the darkness. Remember, not only are we here for sanctification, we are here also to go and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28. We have a great commission on our lives. We cannot do this in the lust of our flesh, in the pride of life, in the lust of our eyes, but we can do it in sweet surrender to the sanctification process, to the knowledge that we have that God has a plan from beginning to end. And in this plan, he is pouring out his grace upon us and his peace as this verse concludes. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace in the Greek is charis, and peace in the Hebrew is shalom. Peter is speaking to both the Jew and the Gentile of his time and day, but he's talking about God pouring out his grace and multiplying it in our lives. The ability to dwell in his spirit, to stand steadfast in Christ, in his word, learning and experiencing Christ every day single day. There's so much that I want the Holy Spirit to teach you, to allow me to be that vessel to share with you so that you might learn that God is glorious. God is madly in love with us. God has created a redemptive plan that we might know him and know his love. And then God has given us this amazing knowledge of what is yet to come to build up our most holy faith and that living hope within us. Next week, we're going to take a look at Begotten Again, Living Hope, 
power from on high, an inheritance that is incorruptible, faithfulness and faith. What I'd like to do is ask you to please go back and look at these first two verses in 1 Peter and remind yourself that we're just pilgrims passing through, that God has known all along what he's doing and that he's allowing his Holy Spirit who was there, the Spirit on the moving on the face of the water in the book of Genesis to dwell within our hearts to conform us into his image. That is enough to give us a most awesome hope for the future. See you next week as we dive in in verse 3 of 1 Peter. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.